welcome to Grace Life Church Podcast. If you would like any more information about us, please visit our website, gracelife.com.au. Nehemiah 13. We are at the end of our series on Nehemiah. We've been reading through chapter by chapter uh, the book of Nehemiah, and we're up to the 13th chapter. And um, today I want to talk a little bit about drifting. Now, who's ever heard of drifting before? Don't know which type of drifting you're thinking of. But there are some good driftings, good drifting, and then there are some you know, not so good drifting. So, Paul, what were you thinking? Car drifting. Everyone heard of car drifting before when you're driving and you you go around corners and you kind of slide out, you drift out? There was a rally just here in Ellenbrook recently. Ellenbrook's on the map, man. We've got the Targa West rally happening. That's all about rally cars, and if you, if you watch um, rally cars in the, in the forest, they drift and slide around corners. That's good drifting. Is there any police officers in here? Whoops. It's good drifting on a track that is controlled. That's good drifting. I wouldn't do anything like that. No, I'm being serious. Another type of good drifting is um, sock drifting. Come on, seriously. Sock drifting? No one's ever done this? Get out of it. Are you serious? Sock drifting, when you run through the house in your socks and you slide. You like slide around corners and stuff. Come on. Yeah, who, 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 yep, 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 I see that hand, I see that hand, I actually brought with me some socks this morning, this is one of my favorite types of drifting, is, is putting my socks on and running around the house, um, obviously I did that when I was younger, not so much anymore, but uh, when I was little, that was one of my favorite hobbies was to slide around the house. It just made things so much more fun. And I used to go on, we used to have little races with my cousins. And we'd try and see who could slide the most, who could drift the furthest down the hallway. And do you know what? In 2016, there was an Australian national championship for sock sliding. <laughs> I am serious. And the guy who won slid nine meters on socks. Hamish and Andy conducted the uh, <laughs> championship, so it might not be, you know, like Olympic type stuff, but it did happen and it put sock sliding on the map. And uh, my, my story of sock sliding, when I was younger with my cousin, we were trying to see who could get the record in the house down the hallway. And uh, as I'm sliding down, my other cousin opens up a door <laughs> and bang! Shatters my dreams of Tokyo 2000 and whatever it was, if it was even. But my, my Olympic dreams of getting to sock sliding in the Olympics. But uh, just recently, just thinking about this again, I put the socks back on. Put, pulled the boots back on and uh, went for a bit of a, a drift and a slide around the house. And I, I'm, I'm pleased to say that I beat my personal record by quite a bit. 
I am probably 25 years older than I was at the time that I set my personal record, but uh, very happy with that. You could have applauded then. It would have been, thank you, thank you. It would have been quite fitting. I thought as well, in the, the spirit of giving as we're talking about the faith offering, I would like to give away these socks to someone. They have been worn, so you may want to wash them before you put them on. And if you want, I could sign them. Any, anyone? Oh, you can keep those, Joe. Seriously, wash them, but that's good drifting. And then there's, there's not so good drifting. Who's ever been to the beach? The beach is a good place. And it, it's usually pretty stable on the sand. But I don't know if you've ever gone into the water at the beach and been in one place and then not long after you were in that one place in the water find yourself at Rotnest <laughs> because you have drifted 44 kilometers down the coast. Anyone ever, maybe not that far, but you've been, <laughs> you've gone to the beach and you've gone out in the water and, and you started off in one place and then by the time you realized that you were in a different place, you just drifted along. At the beach in our kind of, our local beaches, not that Ellenbrook has a local beach, we've got a, a lake, it's kind of a beach, not but in our local beaches, you see that they, they put up flags. And they say, what do they say? Swim between the flags. Now, why do they say that? Because of rips. Because of different things that can pull you and drift you out into dangerous water. So if you're at the beach, it is wise to swim between the flags. And uh, if, again, you've probably been in the situation where you started off swimming between the flags and you may have drifted away and outside of those flags. Nehemiah 13 is, to me, a, a, a chapter about drifting. We see that, that God has done this incredible move in the people. We've seen this, they, they've returned to their home of Jerusalem, they've rebuilt the walls, they've reinstituted the, the word of God, they've come back to God, they've, they've turned their hearts back to Him. And then we get to Nehemiah 13 and we see that they've drifted away again. And I'm reading through Nehemiah 13 and I'm thinking, I think if I was writing this myself and Nehemiah documenting his, his testimony here of what took place... I might have stopped at chapter 12 because we just saw this massive revival break out. We saw the walls get built. We saw people in chapter 11 start to repopulate Jerusalem. We saw in chapter 8 that the, there was a celebration as people came back to the word of God. There was revival that started to break out. They put aside the things that they were um, dealing with in the past and they came back to God. And in, in chapter 12, it finishes with this huge celebration where they dedicate the, the walls that they've built and they're having this huge party on the walls. I might have stopped there. Because then he gets to chapter 13 and it kind of finishes a little bit weird. Because the people in Jerusalem, they have drifted away from what God had set before them and the way that they were going. So today I want to look at drifting. And if we go to the beach and talking of that, 
you know, in the water, swimming between the flags. The flags are there to actually keep us safe. The flags are there to give us direction that if you swim in this area here, it is safe. But if you go outside of those areas, you may not drown immediately, but you put yourself at risk. I see God's word as like flags for us. Flags at the beach that says, here are some safe points. And if you live within these safe points, then you, you'll be under the blessing and the protection of God. I, I, he, he, will, he will look after us. He will work with us. He, he, he is in those spaces. But if we drift outside of those flags of God's word, of what he says to us, then we put ourselves at risk. We go into dangerous territory. And whilst we may not drown immediately, things can happen in our lives and we find ourselves, if we're not careful, drifting further and further and further and further away from where God wants us to be, where he designed and intended us to live between those flags. And so we go to the beach and we're swimming. One thing to do is to keep your eyes on the flags. So you know where you're supposed to be. You know where it's safe. You know where, where you, can, you can swim. And today I want to take from Nehemiah a couple of flags that we can kind of keep our eyes on. Some things in our lives that, that potentially can be areas where we may drift if we're not careful. And to give us some thoughts on, on where, we can, uh, where we can keep ourselves safe in God's purposes, in His will living where he intended and designed for us. So Nehemiah, we see in chapter 13 that Nehemiah has been gone for a, for a while. He comes back to Jerusalem and all of this stuff has happened. Here is the first kind of flag that I want to put before us today to think about where we can drift and we need to be careful to keep our eyes on the flags. It's the flag of relationships. Keep your eyes on your relationships. We're going to read from Nehemiah 13, verse 1. It says this, On the same day, the book of Moses was being read to the people. The passage was found that said, No Ammonite or Moabite should ever be permitted to enter the assembly of God. For they had not provided the Israelites with water in the wilderness. Instead, they hired Balaam to curse them, Though our God turned that curse into a blessing, which is what God can do. When this passage of the law was read, all of, the for, all of those of foreign descent were immediately excluded from the assembly. Now we heard something like this in, in chapter 10 and 11 when Pastor Alex preached about how um, God had called his people to be set apart. To, to consecrate themselves, to be a people who, who, who knew their identity in Him. And their identity was closely tied to Him. And so when, when they had different people coming in from different nations who worshipped different gods and had different beliefs and different ideologies and different theologies, it became a melting pot and mixed up the beliefs of the Israelites. Over and over and over again, we see this drifting as, as God's people kind of blend themselves with others. And they, they blend their way of worship and they blend their ideologies and they blend their theology with, with different nations in partnership with them, in relationship with them. And so when Nehemiah come, comes back to Jerusalem, he finds out that, that, hang on a second, you guys have opened up the, the, the temple again to others from other nations to come and worship here. People who, who are potentially worshipping different gods and different uh, systems. 
And so when they read that, they, they take the people out. But the relationship there is important. It's something that Nehemiah observes and confronts is the way that they had this relationship. Later on, we see uh, he also speaks about, in verse 23, he says, About the same time, I realized that some of the men of Judah had married women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab, those two places again. Furthermore, half their children spoke the language of Ashdod or some other people and could not speak the language of Judah at all. Once again, there'd be a blending of relationships. And uh, he, he goes on to say that this was the same thing that Solomon had done. He had taken wives from different nations, which meant that he also took on their traditions. And it led to him turning his heart from God. It led to him drifting away from the God that loved him so much. And so Nehemiah takes seriously the relationships that the people have. So seriously that my favorite verse here is uh, verse 25 when it says, So I confronted them and called down curses on them. I beat some of them and pulled out their hair. That is gangster. That is not permission, by the way, for us. This is kind of a normal day in my house with the kids, obviously. Even this morning, they were fighting over an iPad. Hair was being pulled. Curses were being called down. But Nehemiah confronts this. You can see how much has upset him that the people had gone back to this way of blending themselves with other nations, with other gods. And he was adamant that this was an issue because it could cause them to drift away, just as Solomon had done. Solomon's heart was divided. He gave his heart to, to many different women who came from different, different nations, and some of that was political. Uh, there was different relationships that were formed there. And we see that the division of his heart eventually leads to the division of the kingdom. After he had passed, the kingdom is divided. So a divided heart leads to a divided kingdom. But here Nehemiah confronts this and says, the relationships that you keep are important. Let's even look a little bit further at this. One of those relationships in particular was Eliashib. If that's how you say his name. John Michael, is that right? Eliashib. Eliashib, who was the priest. And it says here, uh, before this has happened, that Eliashib, the priest, who had been appointed as supervisor, the high priest of the temple of the, of the God, of God, was also a relative of Tobiah. Now, where else have we heard the name Tobiah? Previously in Nehemiah, we hear that there was some people that came to oppose the building of the, the wall. Tobiah and Sambalat, two people that were opposed to the building of the wall. And it says here that the high priest that was put in charge of the temple was, in my translation, related to Tobiah and created space for Tobiah in the temple. He had relationship with Someone that was opposed to the work of God and gave him space in the temple. Relationship that leads to compromise, that leads to catastrophe. Relationship that opens up a door for things to, to, to drift away from God. You also go on a little bit further and we see that this same high priest had... Um, 
one of, one of his grandson actually had married the daughter of Sanballat. So the other guy who was opposed to the building of the, of the wall, Nehemiah's, uh, not Nehemiah, Eliashib's grandson married his daughter. Another relationship. And so part of the state of, of, of this nation uh, was affected because of the relationships that were formed by the leaders of, of uh, the temple at that time. Relationships matter. Who we do life with matters. You, you, you would know this, right? That uh, your, your relationship with Jesus can be greatly affected by the people that you surround yourself with. There are people that will pull you towards Jesus, that will help you to find who you are in Jesus, that will help you to come to that place of revelation, to that place of freedom in Jesus. There are people in your life that can help you, but there are also people that can be in your life that will drag you away from the purpose of God, that can serve to, to drag you away from getting close to God, that can serve as distractions, that can... Uh, just, just pull you away and, and before you know it, you can get into relationships, not just romantic relationships, I'm talking about friendships, I'm talking about community groups, I'm talking about all sorts of things that can, if we're not careful, can pull us away from Jesus. And maybe you've seen it, seen it before. You've seen people who were uh, following Jesus passionately and then they got mixed up with some, someone in the wrong crowd or they, they got mixed up with someone with uh, mixed up theology and then they went down a track and, and you see them and once they were here between the flags, they were living for Jesus and then all of a sudden, the next time you see them, they're over here and they're like all over the shop. Your relationships matter. Keep an eye on your relationships. Be aware of who you are connecting be with. Be aware of who you are, are walking and journeying with. Surround yourself with people that will help you to find who you are. Not drag you away from who you are. Not cause you to drift or to, to move in the wrong direction. And, and I'll say this, we can, we can probably understand this really easily when it comes to like severely corrupt type people so if i was to say you, you, you might think well i'm not going to surround myself with the mafia because they that's probably not going to be great for me it's going to lead me down the wrong track but what about people that aren't necessarily evil but just aren't good for you people that aren't aren't really concerned for you you know to surround yourself with people that can drag you away from who you really are I, I don't know about the, have you ever heard of the law of attraction? Where, where, you know, if you take people into a room, take people into a group, maybe a group like this, that those who, who like to gossip will usually be attracted to one another and end up surrounding one another and, and feeding into that, that desire. Negativity is one of those things that draws people together. Be careful who you who you merge your life with, who you allow to speak into your life. Be intentional with, with surrounding yourself with people that are going to help you to become the person that God has called you to be, not to cause you to drift away, not to cause you to, to be pulled away. So keep an eye on your relationships. I would say it too as well, um, to any young people or any people that are single, when it comes to romantic relationships, don't chase guys 
Don't chase girls. Chase Jesus. Chase after him. And if it comes to that point where where you get to the point where uh, God releases you for a relationship, if you find someone that is running as hard after Jesus as you are, then maybe you can consider the relationship with them. But pursue him. Chase him. Don't chase after romance. Don't chase after like romantic relationships like that. I work with young people. I see all the time 13, 14, 15-year-olds who are in love. You just don't understand, Scott. We were made for each other. Dude, you're like 13. Do you still wear a nappy? No, they don't. Do you know what I'm saying? We, we were just, we're just in love and we're going to be, spend the rest of our lives together. We'll be together forever. 13. Really? Okay. Opening your heart to a relationship that can have an effect on you, that can drag you, drift you in the wrong direction. Be careful. Be careful who you open up your heart to. Be careful who you bring into your life. Be careful who you surround yourself with. Now, on the flip side, surround yourself with people that are good for you, people that will spur you on, people that will encourage you, challenge you, walk alongside you, pray for you, help you to become the best person that you can be, the person that God has called you to be. So keep an eye on our relationships. Here is the second thing, and this may not make sense at first, but I hope it does by the time we finish. Keep an eye on your rooms. Keep an eye on your rooms. And all the mums said, Amen. If you've got teenagers, you know you've got to keep an eye on that room because it can just get cluttered. Reading from verse 4, so before, before this happened, Eliashib the priest who had been appointed as the supervisor of the storerooms of the temple of our God and who was also a relative of Tobiah had converted a large storage room and placed it at Tobiah's disposal. The room had been previously been used for storing the grain offerings, the frankincense, various articles for the temple and the tithes of grain, new wine and olive oil, which was prescribed for the Levites, the singers and the gatekeepers, as well as the offering, as offerings for the priests. So again, the high priest, the priest opened up this room to Tobiah, gave him a room to use in the temple. A person who was an enemy of the building, of the walls, is now has space in the holy place. It doesn't compute that the, the enemy could be given ground or a room in the house that was meant to be holy. But this is actually quite a, a picture of what can happen with the Christian life. We may not realize it, but we can at times open doors to the enemy and give him room in our lives, create space in our lives for him where he has access or permission to do things to oppress us, to afflict us. Sometimes we willingly and knowingly open those doors and create that room by deliberate transgression, by turning away from, crossing the line. But sometimes we unknowingly open up doors 
which creates room and, and we give access to the enemy to come and, and have space. Now, I'm not, what I'm not saying is that the devil, little red devil sitting on your shoulder, is living inside of you. That's not what I'm trying to say. But what I am saying is that we can even sometimes not even realize it, open up doors in our lives and give room or footholds or strongholds to the enemy who can then influence and infiltrate and damage what God is wanting to do. I'm not trying to freak anyone out. I'm not trying to scare anyone. Uh, and I know that there's people in this room that are on all different types of uh, uh, different stages of the journey. Some of us here are just seeking Jesus. We're, we're not sure where we sit with our faith. Some of us uh, have been following him and walking with him for years. So I'm not trying to make this sound weird. But if, if you believe that Jesus is real, then you've got to believe that the enemy is real also. And so we can't be ignorant to the schemes and the plans and the tactics of the enemy. He wants footholds in your life. He will look for vulnerabilities in your, in your life where perhaps there's a door that's been opened, where, where, where perhaps you're, you're allowing him to have space in your life. And again, sometimes it's, we don't even realize that we've done this. I heard a story once of a young lady who was uh, invited to a party and at this party they did something we called an Ouija board. So they, they engaged with the occult, they engaged with, with demonic spirits and they opened themselves up. It was an opening of a door to, to this demonic stuff to come in and to, to, to mess with them. That's an example of an opening of, of a door. Another way that we can open doors, we can give space, is something like unforgiveness. Did you realize that? Holding on to unforgiveness and bitterness towards people can actually open the door for the enemy to come in and give him a foothold, give him access and permission to oppress, to afflict. Now, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, then, then I don't believe that the, the enemy can ever possess you because you are possessed by the Spirit of God, but can oppress and afflict you, can have, have an effect on you, can, can distort your thinking, can distort your way of living. And so we read here that the, the holy place had been opened up to the enemy. And they not even just opened the door, they'd created a room. Hey, come in, have this space here. You can do what you want in there. Can I say, Christians, be very careful. Be aware to what, you, what you're opening up, what you're opening your heart to, what you're opening yourself to. Be aware. And if you find that there are things, uh, even before prayer, I was, as we, we were praying before the service, I just had this picture of this little freaky, kind of gremlin-looking thing crouched down, in the corner and I, I had the sense that you know maybe today as we talk about this sort of stuff that God will bring a bit of light on some areas in our lives in our hearts where maybe we've opened the door to the enemy and allowed him to, to, to have a foothold and I saw just the light coming on to this little gremlin thing that was sitting in the corner and exposing it for what it was and then it leaving sorry Tristan So maybe God wants to illuminate some stuff today. Maybe he wants to show some stuff where we've, we've maybe just opened some stuff up 
for the enemy. We've given space and territory to the enemy. And read what, what Nehemiah does here. When he discovers this, where are we? When I arrived back in Jerusalem, I learnt about this evil deed and providing Tobiah with a room in the courtyards of the temple of God. I became very upset and threw out all of Tobiah's belongings out of the room. He went into this room, took all of this guy's stuff and threw it out. Then I demanded that the rooms be purified and I brought back the articles of of God's temple, the grain offerings and the frankincense. So he goes into this room, he takes out everything that had been set in there, all of Tobias' stuff, and he gets rid of it. He cleanses it. He purifies the room. Maybe some of us need to, to, to just clear out the rooms that we've, we've, we've opened up, where we've let stuff into our hearts, where we've let things build up. Maybe it's not the enemy's influence. Maybe it's just things that we have created, things that we've filled our hearts with. Nehemiah goes into that room and just empties it, cleans it out, gets rid of everything that would hinder, gets rid of everything that would defile, gets rid of everything that was against God, cleans it out, cleanses it. He says, we need to purify this room now. And then they fill it with what it was intended for. I see this as you know, spiritual warfare being a part of this. We see that, that if, if we have opened up doors, there's a space where we, we come to God and we confess that we've, we've done this. We confess our sin. We confess what we've opened up. We cancel any, any authority, any permission that we've given. We cancel it in the name of Jesus. We command whatever it is to leave. And then we commit that area of life to the, to the presence of God. We commit that room, per se, to the presence of God. That it would be filled with His Spirit. That that room of our hearts would be filled with what He has done. Be filled with Him. Think about the slippery slope of compromise. So they were able to give this room to Tobiah because it was empty. And if we read on again a little bit later, we see that that room had been emptied because the people had neglected bringing the tithes and the offerings, the, the, the offerings for the Levites, for the, the, the singers, the gatekeepers and the priests. They were bringing them and these were the rooms that were used for those things. They were, they were used to, to store the offerings. And because they had stopped bringing those offerings, read through in chapter 13, you see that the, the Levites and the singers had left the temple. They'd actually gone back to their home fields to work their fields because they didn't have the income that they were uh, to live by, which is what God had commanded. So because the people had neglected what God had called them to do, the Levites, the, the singers, the gatekeepers, they left that, those rooms and they were empty. Had that not happened, then those rooms wouldn't be available for the enemy. So fill those rooms with the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit fill you. Every area of your heart, every area of your life, every area of your mind, let the Holy Spirit fill you. But be careful. Keep an eye on what you do with those rooms. Here's another thing to keep an eye on, another flag. 
It's your reasons. Keep an eye on your reasons for doing things. Your motivations. What motivates you to come to church? What motivates you? Pastor John spoke about when we have an offering, we, we talk about the why. What is the reason for this? What is, what is the motivation for this? And we don't want that to be a motivation of, of you feeling obliged or like you're compelled to do this or you're forced to or there's peer pressure or someone else is doing it. But when we want to stay focused on Jesus and we want to stay in those flags, when we want to stay in the safe spaces of life, we have to be aware of what's motivating us to do things. It takes some maturity, it takes some self-awareness to actually search your heart and think, what is going on inside of me that is causing me to, to make this decision, that's causing me to, to get into this relationship, that's causing me to, uh, what is it that's going on inside of me, in my heart? What, what is my motivation in this? And what I found personally is if I do things with the wrong motivation, I don't usually last. Or I get frustrated I'll use church as an example, serving in church. I remember I used to serve in the kids' ministry, and I did it because I, I thought that was what you were supposed to do. And I thought, you know, everyone else is doing it, my friends are doing it. And then I, I had the wrong motivation, the wrong reason. It wasn't because I, I loved Jesus. It wasn't because I loved serving people or, or loved kids. It was just because everyone else was doing it, and I thought that's what I was supposed to be doing. And I ended up getting frustrated and I ended up getting upset, and I ended up getting, my heart was like not in it. We've got to keep an eye on what, why we do things. What is the why behind what you're doing? Your reasons. Nehemiah says this thing four times in this passage, in chapter 13. He says this, after he, he confronts the people on what was happening, he says, remember this good deed, oh my, oh my God, and don't forget, all that I have faithfully done for the temple of my, good, my God and services, and its services. Then in verse 22, he says, Remember this good deed also, O my God. Have compassion on me according to your great and unfailing love. Then in verse 29, he says this about those who defiled. He said, Remember them, O God, for they have defiled the priesthood and the solemn vows of the priests and the Levites. And then at the end of this chapter, he says, Remember this in my favor, O God. What is, he, what, what is Nehemiah doing? Is he trying to get the favor of God or is he saying, this is why I have done this? Remember this, God. I, 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 made, these, I made these decisions. I did these things because I am passionate about you. Because I want to see you revered. I want to see you honored. I saw these things as something that dishonored you. And so, God, I have stepped in here. I've confronted. I've brought change. Remember this, God. This is his why. This is what he did. Why he did what he did. Because he had passion for God. Because he had passion and, and he wanted to see the holiness of God honored in that nation. And so he says, this is my reason. This is why I do what I do. Keep watch on your motivations. Why do you do what you do? Keep watch on, on, on the decisions that you make. When we talk about drifting, the potential for drifting is that if I'm, if I'm not aware of why I'm doing things, then I can end up doing it, doing it, doing it, doing it, doing it, doing it, end up over here and think, I don't even know why I started. I don't, I don't even know why I'm here anymore. 
I don't want to be here. So just keep an eye on your reasons. And here's the last thing. I'll close with this. Keep an eye on Jesus. Simple. Keep an eye on Jesus. You want to stay in the flags? You want to stay in the safe space in life? Keep your eyes on Jesus. Heard a story about a, a, a dad who was teaching his child how to ride a bike. And they're riding the bike down the street. And um, they're, they're pretty close to the curb. And the kid keeps looking at the curb. He keeps staring at the curb and he's worried that he's going to hit the curb. And so he keeps saying to dad, I'm going to hit the curb. I'm going to hit the curb. And then his dad says to him, don't look at the curb. Look straight ahead because the, the direction that you're looking will affect the way that you move. If you keep looking towards the curb, then you'll probably head towards the curb and you'll hit the curb. But if you keep looking ahead, then you'll move in that direction. Now, when it comes to, to sin, when it comes to doing what God is calling us to do, we can become sin conscious where we are looking at the curb. And even though we're trying to avoid the curb, we don't want to hit the curb. We become focused on the curb. And so we hit the curb. But if we become Jesus conscious, where our focus and our attention is on Him, we move in the direction of Him. We keep our eyes fixed upon Him. We go in that direction towards Him. We don't have to worry about the curb. We just look to Him. The closer that you move to Him, to keep Him close, He is the anchor for our souls. He is the one that if we are close, if we keep ourselves close to Him, then He will keep us close. We anchor ourselves to Him. John Michael, if you can help me with this. Jesus is our anchor. If you want to stop yourself from drifting, you just tie yourself to Him. You bind yourself to Him. You stay close to Him. Is that wobbly? It's going to fall on my head. But if I, the closer that I hold myself to Jesus, the more I anchor myself to Him, I can't drift away. If I'm focused on Him and I'm holding on to Him, I'm looking to Him, then I'm not going to drift. I'm going to stay where He anchors me. I'm going to stay in that direction that He holds for me. So hold on to Jesus. Look to Jesus. He is our righteousness. He is our holiness. He is the one who purifies us, who cleanses us, who sanctifies us. He is the one who is our redemption. It is Jesus. You read through in chapter 10 of this and you see that the people make the vow. They, they vow we are not going to defile the temple. And then in chapter 13, it's, a, it's, a, a correct, it's like a direct uh, question back to their vow. Nehemiah says, what have you done with the temple? Which you vowed not to do. You know, we can make these big calls. Jesus, I'm never going to walk away from you. Jesus, I'm never going to drift. Jesus, I'm always going to be right by your side. Jesus, I'm going to be so close, so close, so close. Peter did it. I will never walk away, Jesus. I'll be there right to the end, man. Okay. But this is why we need grace. This is why we need Jesus' grace 
because He empowers us to follow Him. He empowers us to do relationship with Him. He, he empowers us to keep close. But keep your eyes on Jesus. It's, it's clear there as we read through Nehemiah 13 that the people at one point were close to God and then at one, they just kind of took their eyes off what He was doing, what He was saying, what He had for them. They got mixed up and they started to drift. And so I, I read again and I think, thank you, God, for leaving, for putting Nehemiah 13 in here. I might have left it out at the start, but now I realize this is an encouragement to everyone. Because not one of us can say, I'll I'll never drift. I'll never. If we understand the human side of us, the tendency that we see over and over, the pattern that we see over and over and over and over again, we may not drift outside, but we can drift in our hearts, in our closeness, in our intimacy with God. We can give our attention and our affection, our rooms of our hearts to other things. So keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Him, fixed upon Him. Stay anchored to Him and allow Him to do what He wants to do in you. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast from Grace Life Church. For more information about us or any of our services, please visit our website at gracelife.com.au. Thank you.